I'm doing a little different today. Uh, I've decided that I don't need to uh, wear a jacket at every opportunity that I preach, especially as the weather's getting warmer on the outside. So we want to uh, kind of enjoy ourselves this morning. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Daniel chapter 10. As we continue on our study, you know, I can go two different directions with this message today. One, uh, we can actually look at it as a regular sermon, uh, if you want to, or as I like to uh, teach a lot, we're going to be going into the eschatology. And uh, I became a little bit convicted by the things that I studied here today, mainly because the fact is is that there, there was something that was uh, given to me that shows a difference, uh, you know, from Daniel to us as well. But we're going to get into that today as we look at when Satan fights against you. And this is still part of the eschatological studies that we have together. Let's go down to verse 8. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. Daniel chapter 10. Therefore I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of the words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face towards the ground. And behold, as an hand touched me, which sent me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand up right, for unto thee am I now sent." And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. Below Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall be, uh, what shall befall the people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set, up on, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the Son of Man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him, that thou stoodest before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. Let us pray. Father, again, I want to thank you for your blessings today, and help us, dear Father, to know the truth that you give us from not only your word, but also, Father, for the things that pertain to us each and every day. Help us, dear Father, then to understand the things that you give us. Lead us and bless. May we rejoice in you and guide us in all things now. So help us, dear Father, to understand the presence of thy word. Let it be, Father, for the good of everyone that's in attendance. And guide and direct now, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Upon the board, we see part of the vision that was given unto Daniel to uh, uh, attempt to understand a little bit more. But I want us to focus today on verse 10 all the way down to where we fit and left off. And it says, Behold, an hand touched me. Now, there's a lot of speculation of who has t uh, is touching Daniel at this time. Understand that the beginning of this chapter, 
we understand that the Lord is there in presence. Now we saw that last time that we studied together, to where that we were studying the things of the Lord, we began to see his countenance compared to Revelation chapter 1 when Paul, or excuse me, when John also wrote about what his vision was in regards to Jesus Christ and the appearance thereof. But the more that we see it, the more that we can see the definite contrast or the different differences between what we see at the beginning of Daniel chapter 10 all the way down to verse 10. Now in verse 10, it says, and hand. It didn't say the Lord's hand. But if you notice, you don't see any more of the angel touching him. We don't see a man touching him. We really don't know. Now I can speculate and I want to be careful on that because the fact is is when we begin to speculate in things that are included in our studies, the more danger that we can come into. So I want to focus on this one point. It says, and hand touched me. Now, was this because an angel was dispatched to him to lift him up? I don't know. Was it the Lord in his, uh, you know, what, was this the theophany of the Lord that he raised him up? Now, again, I understand this. The word theophany means that they, we have the appearance of the Lord before he was ever born in the physical upon this earth. So when we find the Lord uh, approaching Abraham with two other men before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord was with those two men. And so understand, he could eat just like all the other men. He could do just like other men. But reality is, is that that was still the theophany of the Lord. So the theophany, and like, like someone said one time, theophany, well, the theophany means before the Lord approached, when he was still in his holiness and his righteousness. I do not believe that this is the case, that this is the Lord that is touching, touching Abraham. Because had the Lord touched him, I believe that we see Daniel would have written very carefully who it was that is touching him. Here's the other thing that's interesting. Outside of Jacob wrestling with the Lord, and we do see that Jacob wrestled with the Lord, remember this was the question that he was saying, who are you? And we can go back and we can look at that in the book of Genesis. And he said, why are you asking me that question? You know who I am. And so the reality was is that to show you the power of Jesus Christ, even in his theophany, he just touched the hip of, of Jacob and it went out of joint. So that shows you the power that the Lord can have even then. And so the, Jacob said, I have wrestled with the Lord and I have survived, or basically, and I live. In this case, it is one to where there is going to be distinguishment and understanding. Here's the other thing. 21 days, we talked about this, 21 days was this account of separation. Let's go down and see if that's not true. Uh, verse 12, it says, um, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thy heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. There is not a power on earth that can withstand Jesus Christ I believe that with all of my heart, that can literally stand up and say, I will take control over Jesus Christ. That's very much what I'm seeing today. We live in a powerless generation. We live in a powerless uh, opportunity. In fact, I had a, 
a discussion with my son Jeremy today, and he said, I, I just want to ask the church to pray for me. And I said, Jeremy, let me ask you this. I said, do you believe that there's power in our prayer? And he goes, what do you mean, Dad? I said, just that question. I said, do you believe there's power with the saints before God in our prayer time? And he said, well, yes, I do. I said, well, I said, I'll, I'll refresh your mind. I said, do you remember that when we had uh, a struggle there in Burnside, Kentucky, uh, where we had one group of people that they wanted to really cause a lot of trouble for the church, and including the mayor? And our prayer was that God would remove the mayor from our city because the fact is, is he was causing so much trouble. Well, lo and behold, within a month, within a month, I want to bring this to you, his job demanded that he move away. And they said, we need you elsewhere, and if you don't take it, you're not going to have a job anymore. So he had to resign as mayor, he had to move away, and he was no longer a thorn in the flesh. Reality is, and I said this to Jeremy, I said, you're asking us to pray. But if we're going to pray, do you really believe that our prayers are going to be backed up with power and strength from on high? He said, yes, I do. I said, because that's going to be essential for every prayer that we offer up. Here's the other thing. Nowhere do you ever see in Scripture that Jesus Christ struggled with, one of the, with, with Satan. You don't see that. And in fact, every time that Satan approached God, he did so with great humility. Let me show you what I mean by that. Let's go to the book of Job. And I want us to go to chapter 1. Job chapter 1. And I want you to get this. I want to see it helps if I'm in the right book here. I'm in the book of Esther. There we go. And in the book of Job... Notice is that Job approaches the Lord. And notice what it says in verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him? I want you to think about this for a moment. We are hedged about, every one of us, in our daily walk of life. And the hedge that we have about us, God has placed that hedge about us. Now, that gives us the opportunity to serve God with everything that is in us. And Job, you know, with this hedge, was able to serve God without any hesitation. Notice what else it says. And about his house, and about all that he hath on, on every side, thou bless the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Now, wait a minute. Here's the thing. This was not allowed to destroy Job, but destroy everything he had, including his sons and daughters. And so I want you to get this. Satan has no power over the saints of God at us. The other thing that we see this is in Job chapter 2. We see the same exact thing in verse 4. And Satan answered and said, uh, and said, skin for skin, yea, all the man hath will he give for his life. But put forth Once again, until God gave permission to allow Job that this kind of boils, there was going to be nothing there. And we know that Job remained upright. 
he remained righteous in his setting. All right, now let's go back over here. Here is a man that is also very much you know, dedicated to understand the things of God. If God wanted him to understand it, it would have been just that quick. How do I know that for certain? Let's go over to the book of Revelation, and I want you to see this. This is actually a little bit later in my studies as well. But notice what it says in Revelation chapter 1, and let's go down you know, to see exactly what the Lord tells Job or tells John to write in this thing. Let's go down in verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell in his feet as dead. This is because he sees Jesus Christ in his holiness and his righteousness. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And I am he that liveth. Do you think at any time Satan did not want Jesus Christ to impart this wisdom to John? I know he, he would not have had this imparted upon him. The difference is, and we're going to get in, in this into a moment, is the location where we see uh, Daniel in, you know, as the Lord begins to impose these things upon him. We're seeing the difference in the location. But look at what, what it says in verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which, the, which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Once again, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, they are the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Once again, notice that the Lord said, write these things down. That was an immediate requirement. And there was no opposing whatsoever. Let's go back over to Daniel one more time. And then we're going to get into why there's a difference. Notice again, whoever was dispatched for Daniel at this time, whether it was an angel, whether it was a fellow servant, we don't know because we're not given the clarity. They were withstood, notice again in verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. Who is this prince of the kingdom of Persia? I believe that's Satan. I believe that's it with every demonic force. This is the thing I want us to get. Matter of fact, Brother Joe, if you will, I think it's on the very next slide. Uh, and I think we, we brought the map up there to show you a little bit about what's going on there. Is that There it is. Now, I want you to get this. When you take a look, this is, when, when we see that he was at Hedekel, so instead when he was at Hedekel, that he was, you know, this blue line that's running down through here, and where you see that black line, that is the, the Hedekel River, or the Tigris River as we know it today. This is the Euphrates River, and Babylon is set almost between the two rivers exactly. If you've ever been over to the land between the lakes, how many of you have ever been over the land between the lakes? You know, you have, really, it was the Tennessee River, and I think it was the Cumberland River that was there originally. Or maybe it was the Kentucky River, I can't remember. But anyway, you had the two rivers that were there, and then when they dammed them up, they created this great reservoir that was in this place, and it created this little bit of a landmass. That separation is a lot closer than this map will allow you to see. But this whole area that we see right here is an area full of wickedness. I remember this, is that Brother Avender Ginda, many years ago, who was with the FBI, 
He told me that when he went into Babylon, he said, I remember that it was just as wicked as it could possibly be. And he said, you could feel the wickedness. He said, you could feel the evil. And he said, now I want you to get this just for a moment. He said, the evil is still in presence there. I have a picture, uh, and I think it was actually drawn by a chick track many years ago. But it showed that after the flood and the destruction of all mankind, there were all waiting to see where they were going to go. You know, demons didn't die. The demons didn't die because of the great flood. Only mankind and all that was outside of the ark died with, with all, the, uh, you know, all the rest of the world's population. But eventually there was a call to have people move down to Persia. And as they moved down to this land of Shinar, which is in that same area, the same exact area, and as they moved down to, to this land of Shinar, we see the increase in demon activity. May I point this out to you? And I don't know, how many of you ever thought about this? But Abraham was Abram of the Ur of the Chaldees. I don't know how many of you have ever thought about this, but Abraham was an idol-worshipping individual. He was in the land of Chaldees. I met a man by the name of Fike Zora many, many years ago, and, and we worked together. Brother Fike, uh, met a, I said Brother Fike, brother by human nature, not by spiritual nature. Fike was, one day we were just sitting there talking, and he, uh, we were in the Air Force together, and he said, you might know my family more if you understand the Bible because Abraham came from my village. I said, where was that? He said, the Ur of the Chaldees. And he said, we are still very much like what Abraham left, idol-worshipping, things of this nature. I was shocked. I was really in shock because the fact is, is that those people still exist. And so many things that I began to piece together was that God had to separate Abraham from the family. That's why they went up to the northern area, which is now Haran. And then Abraham was moved down into the land of, of, of Canaan, if you will. The reality is, is that all of this shows that God had to perform a special work through Abraham, later on to Isaac, and then also into Jacob, in order for there to be the holiness that was going to go into place. But understand this. When the Israelites were moved back over from that land of Israel, and they were brought back over to the Babylonian area, this was not a place of holiness. It was a place of evil. Now, I want you to get this as well. Go to verse 1 of Daniel chapter 10. Notice what it says. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. <coughs> Excuse me. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had half understanding of the vision. And in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks, 21 days. I was mourning 21 days. Why was he mourning? Because even in this land of evil, in this land of wickedness, he literally wanted to know more about the things of God. Number one, if you try to understand the things of God and there's evil all around you, you're not going to have a full understanding of the things of God. 
The difference between John on the Alapatmos, it says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Do you realize that, that John was on a barren island? He was there on the Spirit on the Lord's day, and because of that, he had direct access and not interfered with by all the evil that was around him. Evil placed him on that island, but it was the Spirit on the Lord's day that preserved him. Look what else it says. One other thing that we see in verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in twenty days. There's that three weeks again. The evil that was in this area prevented Daniel from seeing all the things that was there. But there's still more, and I want you to get this. If you will, let's go to uh, James chapter 5, and I want you to get this also. And in James chapter 5, this is the power of prayer as we know it and as we see it today. And I've been criticized for this, and that's okay. I'll allow the criticisms to occur. I want you to go down to verse 8. And it says, Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now we're speaking on the same exact topic, right? We're speaking of the coming of the Lord. Look what else it says. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye condemn. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Let me. Here's the thing. How many of us grudge what someone else has? Or the abilities that someone has? Or the things that someone has? Grudging can kill a church. And if a church is not going to follow the things of God, our prayer is going to be powerless. Look what else it says. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. So here's Daniel that is mentioned in verse 10 because he was a prophet of God. And he endured the struggle to understand the things of God. Look at verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. How many of us have been... And I'm so happy that you're here. Because you've given me a reason to endure the next kidney stone I have. Alright, the reality is that when Brother Randy, you know, he come in, he wasn't complaining about his kidney stone. He's enduring it because there is a lesson that has to be learned. How many of us have ever got aggravated at a traffic loss? Been blocked in a traffic jam. You didn't make the traffic jam. That could be anything from a roadblock or whatever, and you're sitting there fuming. Have you ever thought that God is preserving us at that moment from an accident? And the delay is on purpose? I, I, I can tell you stories. But the thing is, I want you to get this. You have heard of the patience of Job. That's why I brought you up Job. We have heard the patience of Job and have seen the end of the, seen the, end of the Lord. That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Go on down, if you will, and I want you to get this. In verse 16 it says, Confess your faults one to another and pray 
one for another, that you may be healed. Now, I want you to stop here for a moment. Just think about this for a moment. What can hinder our prayers? How many of us have ever thought about that? I just gave you a list up above. If we're grudging somebody, you know, I don't care what others may think about this church. I really don't care. Because the fact is, we're supposed to be autonomous, and we should never worry about everybody else and what they think of us. We are autonomous, and we give answer to the Lord. But if we want to see destruction internally, then let there begin to be more grudging or more complaining about somebody else. I'm glad that we don't have that right now. I don't see it. If if it exists, I pray God will get rid of it. But here's another thing, and I want you to see this. This one was amazing. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 3. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, let me get over there. There we go. My pages are sticking together. I want you to go down to verse 7. Did you ever think that your relationship with your spouse can affect your prayer life? Look what it says. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Who's he speaking of? He's speaking of the wife of your youth. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Then say that she is a weaker vessel. It says, give honor to her as a weaker vessel. And being heirs together, do you realize husbands and wife are heirs together in the grace of life? That your prayers be not hindered. How many of you have ever tried to pray when you've had a problem with your spouse? Your prayer didn't go anywhere. Your prayer is like, well, that woman. You selected the woman, and God saw fit for you to be together. But how are you relating to her will affect how your prayer life will be. Look what else it says. Verse 16 of James chapter 5. Confess your faults one to another. You know what? I have a lot of faults. And you know, one of the things that I have also noticed in my life is that I'm not the man of God that I should be. I want to be a better man of God. I want to be an example before others. And you know, quite literally, I, I can easily fall into the trap of those people that I meet out in the workplace or out on other places, that they will automatically want to know who I am and what I believe. But unless I devote myself to the things of God, I don't believe that there will ever be strong power. You know, a lot of times, and I remember this in seminary, they talked about uh, how that, you know, what is the two kind of individuals you have? Do you want to be a Peter on the day of Pentecost or do you want to be the Apostle Paul? Well, Peter on the day of Pentecost was just continuing on the work that the Lord had already started. And God allowed that to multiply and grow. But the reason for that great number was so that when the church went out and they sent others individuals out, there would be this growth and this growth potential. The Apostle Paul needed to preach in some of the most difficult areas. Now think about this for a moment. Paul preached to the Greeks. Paul preached to the Gentiles. Paul preached to the pagans. Paul preached to everyone under the sun. 
Would you do me a favor, Randy? I think that door stuck one more time. You know, the reality is, no matter how hard he tried to minister to the things of God, he met immediate resistance to all those people that are around about him. However, Paul was going to preach the word of God, and he was going to establish churches as God gave him victory to do so. But I want to show you one other area that can hinder us in our understanding of biblical things and our understanding of the things of God. Turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 5. And while you're turning there, let me explain something to you. I firmly believe that in John chapter 16, we are told something amazing about the work of the Holy Spirit. For instance, unlike Daniel, we all possess internally the Holy Spirit within us. How many of you all know that? Greater is he that is in you than it he that is in the world. We have the greatest source of power in ourselves, and that is in the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean we go around and we smite people everywhere we go. We have to have the leading of the Holy Spirit. We have to have the understanding of the Holy Spirit. We have to, we have to know all these aspects of him. But the one thing that the Holy Spirit will not overcome, and I want you to get this, is the flesh, unless we truly desire the crucifixion of the flesh. Look and see if I'm not right. In verse 14 it says, For all the in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Now question, is everyone filled with the Spirit that he's speaking to here? The answer is yes. Because this is one church, internal church, everyone is working together. This I say then, walk in and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The old man is dead. And this is the one thing that I want you to get. We have, we're no longer subject to the will of the old man, but I am still subject to the will of the flesh. There has never been a piece of chocolate cake that I have not enjoyed. Maybe some a little bit more than others. I love German chocolate cake. Oh my goodness, give me a, a homemade, from scratch, German chocolate cake like mom used to make, and I am in second heaven. That's all there is to it. But the reality is, is that the things that I desire of the flesh do not necessarily give me the things that I need in my walk of life. Look what else it says. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. One of the examples that I, I had, I think last year I showed this to you, I took a pitcher of water, and I had about this much water in the bottom of that pitcher. It was a clear vessel so everyone could see it. I said, this vessel represents the flesh. And as long as I'm feeding the flesh, then guess what? The, the spirit or the water that is there is going to literally be little in comparison to the large part. We cannot just enter into the door of this house and expect that God is going to start working through us unless we say, Lord, I ask you right now to help me crucify the flesh. What did Paul say in chapter 2? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but, the, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, Paul understood, I am in the flesh, but I don't have to live in the flesh. Look what else he 
it says. And the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. What did Paul say in the book of Romans? You know, in the book of Romans, he said, "That which I desire to do." And, and Randy said, you ever been traveling with someone and for 10 hours all they do is cough? I'm sorry, Nancy, but I had to bring it up right now. Reality is, is that while you're coughing, you know, you're, you're dealing with the things of the flesh. You can't do anything about that. I know that. There's, there's an example. Now, look at verse 18. But if we be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Look what it says now. For the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery. How many Christians have fallen into adultery? Fornication. How many Christians have fallen into fornication? Uncleanliness. How many Christians have fallen into uncleanness? Lasciviousness, which is, if you go in, it's impurity. How many of us have fallen into impurity? We allow things in our television sets. We allow things in our lives. We cannot put those aside and say, Oh, come and fulfill me. No, no, no. And then, of course, those things that we don't we think about being part of us. Idolatry, which we don't suffer and we don't worship idols, though idols can be anything about us. Witchcraft. How many of us have ever understood that the Bible says even rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft? Hatred? I hope there's no hatred in this church. Variants, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such the like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Reality is, I need to crucify this flesh. Let me give you a simple prayer. And you can pray it if you want. Nothing says you have to pray it. You can pray however the Lord may direct you. But if we would just take a week and spend this time in prayer and then think about what we prayed throughout the rest of the day, I guarantee you it will make a difference. Number one, before my feet ever hit the ground, and I'm sitting up on the edge of my bed. Let me pray, Father, protect my mind that I only think on what you would have for me to think upon. That's number one. Lord, protect my eyes that I may not see anything but what you want me to see. Lord, protect my, nas my nasal passage, my nose, so I may breathe in only the things of God and not the things of this world. Lord, protect my lips. My lips. Let me sing praises unto you and not give praise unto the world. Lord, my hands. May I only handle those things which are holy and right and just. My body. May my body be your temple today and may I use my body as you see fit and protect my feet that I may walk only where you would have for me to walk. If we would do that for an entire week, I guarantee you coming into next Sunday would be a lot different in the way we meet the, the congregation of the Lord. And that is the thing that we are now seeing the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Galatians. You are already filled with the Spirit. I don't have
not truly invited. I want the Holy Spirit in this place. I want I don't want evil in this place. There's been times that I've been tempted to kick off my shoes because this place is holy ground. And reality is is that when I come in here I need to pray, Lord, don't let my thoughts drift, don't let my ideas accumulate. Help me to focus purely and here's how we do that. Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. I not more sing that song slow. It is joy and speed. It doesn't work. you got to have that song with zest. you got to have the things that are going to be merciful and beautiful. What about peace? You know, when I come into this place, there should never be any strife. And I want you to know this is so beautiful when there's no strife. Not only peace with each other, but peace with God. Is He not the Prince of Peace? Is he not the one that we serve? Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such, such, there is no law. And they are the things that we should enjoy each and every day. Let's go back over here one more time in the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, this was a time before the Holy Spirit entered into these individuals. They were looking for the coming of the Christ. And this is the thing that opened my eyes. I want you to look at the Old Testament at this point. There's the cross. There's the cross. And the Old Testament saints looked forward to the coming of Christ. Go back and read it very carefully. And you will find that the entire story of the coming of Jesus was they were looking for the cross. They were looking for him high and lifted up. The true believers were looking for Jesus Christ to come. And when he came, they stood beneath the cross and they received the glory. When Jesus ascended into what we call the bottomless pit, when he ascended into hell, he then witnessed and he then made it visible to everyone that was there. I John the Baptist is a precursor. He was the one who would now run ahead of them. And he goes, he's on. Imagine Adam and Eve when Jesus approached Adam. And he goes, hi, Adam. Can you imagine at that moment when You would do this for me more than you realize. I would do all things for you. That's beauty. What about us here? Here's the cross over here. We look back to the cross. And because of the cross, man, that's beautiful for me. That's magnificent for me. And now I'm looking for his coming because I have the cross before me and I have his ascension ahead of me. Got it? And so Daniel didn't have what we have. 
All right, well, it's now 10 till. It's about time for the services to uh, change over. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, thank you for your blessings, and we pray that you will guide us and lead us. Help us to walk faithfully before you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed. <laughs>